Inside Chicago Government. This is Dave Gloetz. Welcome to another in a series of interviews with Ben Jarofsky. Ben writes on government and politics for the Chicago Reader, and he's here with me today on the Ides of March when we're contemplating the difference between oligarchs and plutocrats. Yes, we are. Did we figure that out? No, we didn't. You left me scrambling for my dictionary. (laughs) Do you have have it off the top of your head? No, I have nothing. (laughs) Remember the one guy I quoted? I think this may be before we started doing our interviews. It was this gentleman on the south side that I was interviewing regarding the Olympics coming to Washington Park. He says, we're a kleptocracy. That means we're a government run by thieves, which I stole and have been using ever since. So that's a third category. <laughs> kleptocrats, plutocrats. I did not know of the kleptocracy. This man enlightened me. And then we in the mobocracy. <laughs> in the mobocracy, That's yes. a word. Today, though, we're talking about your article that appeared in the Reader on March 14th, 2013, titled Charities Drowning in City Water Fees, in which you write about the impact on certain Chicago charities by the 2011 law that phases out water bill exemptions for most nonprofit organizations. And you cited as an example an outfit called the Franciscan Outreach Homeless Shelter. That is correct, Senator. On the west side. And you talk about a proposed municipal code amendment that reinstates exemptions for some nonprofit organizations. The proposed amendment doesn't allow, as I read it, exemptions from water bills if certain nonprofit organizations have greater than $250 million in net assets Mm -hmm. or fund balances. Does that seem kind of high? Like, for example, this Franciscan Outreach Association that owns the shelter in 2011 had assets of just over a million dollars. Very good, man. You are dutiful. I'm a dutocrat. You're a computercrat. It's probably high. What's the opening round of negotiations? Look, the issue here is who gets the exemptions. We have to start with this notion This is Chicago as it would be in an idealistic state. Mayor Rahm comes in and he says, our policy, and there was an existing policy, of allowing all not-for-profits and religious institutions to be exempted from water bill is a waste because many of these uh, institutions are perfectly capable of paying their water bills. They have enormous endowments. Very wise. Resurrection Hospital. Right. You're a brilliant mayor. I'm so glad you have won the right to represent us. No wonder so many people voted for you. (laughs) It was because of your brilliance on this particular issue. Well, let's take a look at those institutions that do not have an enormous wealth. And let's see what we could do to give them this exemption on the grounds that the service they provide is very important to the well-being of Chicago. No such discussion of that nature was held at all. The mayor announced this great pronouncement, and the city council went ahead and rubber-stamped it. And now here we are. What is it? That was passed in 2011 in November or whenever that was. Late 2011. So here we are in 2013, and the water bills are starting to come in, and there's a howling coming from the not-for-profit world. So have they come in with a number that's too high that protects people who could probably pay their water bill? Perhaps. Should this be subject to negotiations? Absolutely. Will those negotiations happen? Only if Mayor Emanuel gets dragged to the negotiating table, kicking and screaming and protesting. Life in Chicago, Dave. You write that the measure that we're talking about, the proposed amendment, would need 26 votes to get it out of the 
committee in which it was buried. <laughs> uh, the uh, which is or called, sunken or let's skip a water uh, <laughs> joke uh, there. Yeah, right. Uh, which, which was drowned. To which <laughs> uh, cement overshoes were attached. Yes. Uh, which is called the Committee on Budget and Government Operations. I love how you always go back and get the correct name as opposed to just to the Budget Committee. We're doing journalism here, pal. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. So you would need 26 votes to get it out of the committee to a full council vote. However, the Committee on Budget and Government Operations has 35 members. Yes. Alderman Fioretti, who is a sponsor of this amendment, is not a member. But given there's 35 members, I figure it would need from 10 to 18 votes to get it out of committee because, again, 10 minimum would be a quorum for that committee. 18 would be, if all the committee members were present, 18 would pass a vote on the committee. So I'm just saying it could be less. We had this conversation yeah, we before had this about the Now we're in the slippery order. slope of parliamentary procedure, which seems to be rewritten by the knee every day. <laughs> like, I thought there was such a thing as a quorum, and then I realized that there's no such a thing as a quorum. In the city council rules of order, it says that half the members yeah. of the committee Well, they routinely violate that. Uh, and really? then if anybody calls them on it, I remember this brilliant article that the great McDumkey wrote years ago where they say, we have, yes, the need for a quorum, except when we don't need one. Well, I know that in some organizations, the quorum isn't a question unless it's called. Yes, that's true. But this case, it was called. And they said, and they they said didn't need sorry. It. Yeah. Sorry. Right. If you don't like it, have your own committee. <laughs> Which means that it would require even fewer votes yes. to pass it out if they were under quorum, right? Yes, that is correct. So, anyway, but back to this budget thing, because I had this discussion. It was a lengthy discussion on the parliamentary procedure. None of this probably will ever happen, by the way. So well, I'm willing to entertain this fantasy. <laughs> it's a fun theoretical <laughs> yeah. conversation. But the Budget Committee also serves as a, what is it called, budget of the whole. So for crucial votes, all members get to vote. And so for something like this, they would have to have, this was explained to me by some brilliant parliamentarians. That's tricky. Well, this is Chicago. But I don't even think it'll come to that vote. I believe you're talking about a vote within the budget committee itself. I'm talking about a vote of the full council. I understand that. But I'm just saying that mm -hmm. it could be called to question in the committee. The chairman, as I understand it, has the option of not calling it for consideration yes. unless there's a majority vote on the committee that oh, does call it into question. Yeah. Okay. It's the same issue in another way of looking at it. You still have to get roughly the same proportion of people to vote against the mayor. And you talked about how this amendment, proposed amendment to the municipal code, which for those of you keeping score at home, the city <laughs> clerk has named number O as an Oscar 2012-8291. Yes. And I have a copy of it here. Okay. It's got a like, barcode stamp on it. Okay. And then I guess the, what the sponsors usually do is they show the part of the admissible code that they're changing by underlining right, and then right. lining out as we see. Where, now you printed that out from? From the city clerk's website. Okay, yes. I have my own. And here's the fun part for me is on the bottom, yeah, the, the last page, they have the sponsoring aldermen, which in this case are Fioretti of the 2nd and Brookins of the 21st. Yes. But underneath it is... Just it kind of looks like a high school yearbook. You know, they have all the <laughs> yes, co-sponsors yes. just sort of wrote their signatures yes. and scrawled their award numbers. Right. It's just kind of interesting mm -hmm. that this is the process. Yes, <laughs> that is our process. I can imagine Fioretti going, hey, could you sign yes, this for me? Yes, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Fioretti went out and it was like getting signatures at the end of school year for yeah. your yearbook. Absolutely. And it's about as meaningful as that. <laughs> as you're suggesting, those are not legally binding. It's like, yeah, I would wait to sign that. That's something good I believe in, but it, it's not like a real vote. 
But we know the mayor's office looks carefully at who signed what, though, probably. Well, as I understand things, his eminence is very lenient on these matters, and he realizes that— Until the vote comes up. Yes. If it doesn't matter— You could co-sponsor whatever the yeah, heck you right. want, just don't yeah, vote don't for it. Don't vote for it. it. Right. Yeah. So, got it. He's a, a loving man in that regard. <laughs> a manly man. He's benevolent in that way. <laughs> is he an oligarch or a pluter? <laughs> Now, Ben, we have a question from a listener. Okay. This is from John from the 40th Ward, and he was responding to our interview in which we, again, when we were talking about the rules of order and the story about Alderman Mel in the Rules Committee burying a resolution to put a moratorium on the opening of charter schools, and John is complaining about Alderman Mel and his ability to sit on proposals like this. And John writes, what kind of pressure do you suggest we put on Alderman Mel? And what sort of actions can we take to support these brave aldermen, these brave aldermen being the ones that are proposing such measures as the moratorium? This isn't exactly a reportage question, (laughs) but uh, John is asking. Well, I get a lot of questions like that. Well, first of all, people in the 40th Ward should realize that their alderman, Pat Pat O'Connor, has been around for almost as long as I've been in Chicago is the mayor's floor leader, and I believe he ran unopposed last time. So I should add that John says, I live in Pat O'Connor's ward, so I doubt he'll listen much okay. to me. So I would say the first thing that people in the 40th ward should do is elect a different alderman. And I say that loving Pat O'Connor dearly, but he's the mayor's floor leader. So every single thing that the mayor comes up with, he's the one who carries it through. He argues for it. So if you disagree with the policies that our city is following, then you should definitely vote for somebody else for your alderman. That's just the most obvious point, or at least go about getting a sufficient number of signatures to a petition so that there's an opponent to run against the alderman. I say this stuff and I almost laugh because there's such an inconsistency here. I think Chicago, I know we've had this conversation, Dave, is a very liberal town. They vote for liberal Democrats in presidential elections. And most of the people I know who don't vote for the liberal Democrats do so because they're not radical enough or liberal enough, present company. (laughs) And so I'm always getting grief from these people in Chicago. I don't understand the inconsistency between an electorate that believes in liberal progressive policies on the national level and regressive, unprogressive policies on the local level. Why would you support one on a national election and then support its exact opposite on a local election? So until you start voting locally the way you vote nationally, you will live in this plutocracy or oligarchy oligarchy or kleptocracy <laughs> or whatever we call it in the city of Chicago, where we're a relatively wealthy city that spends a great deal of its money on the wealthiest people at the expense of the not-so-wealthy people. So I would say that the first step for anybody who is worried about how the city council behaves, first of all, figure out which ward you live in, which is very easy to do. John is a step ahead on this one. John's two steps ahead. He not only knows (laughs) which ward he lives in, but he knows who his alderman is. Go see how your alderman votes. All right? That's not that hard to do either. You can find the votes on the same city clerk website. And then decide whether you agree with those votes. And if you disagree with those votes, then you should work for an opponent or maybe run yourself. I remember a young man by the name of Amea Pawar, who is the alderman of the 47th Ward now, but uh, was going door to door telling citizens it's time that we change government and that we should no longer tolerate aldermen who just blindly go along with the mayor 
And in this case, he was talking about incumbent Eugene Schulter. Amaya Pawar was considered a long shot at best. It was sort of a joke. People rolling their eyes. There's no way he could win. He won. And then immediately... I'm sitting here smirking. Yes. He almost immediately flipped and became the exact kind of rubber-stamping alderman that he criticized. So it's really difficult to remain idealistic because so many of people break so many promises. So my recommendation to the people of the 47th Ward is that you not vote for Amaya Pawar in the next election until, unless in the next two years he shows that he is the type of alderman, the same kind of alderman as he was a candidate. So that's sort of my general advice to voters in general is to pay attention to what your alderman's doing. I will add that I think it's important for people to talk to each other about these issues. I think quite often people are afraid in this society to speak to people who they know don't agree with them about issues because they don't want to get into an argument with someone. Where I think it's important to be informed about the things you believe in and be able to state I think two things, state succinctly your argument, and secondly, be willing to listen to the other person instead of just simply, you know, being a mouthpiece, getting it out there, and then running. That's a very good point. One of the things that I think is missing in general from Chicago politics is some kind of enlightened debate. Many of these initiatives I write about ultimately are passed without any debate, without any pros or cons, and then it's only in the aftermath when the consequences are being felt, that we as a citizenry discuss them. When the train has left the station. Yeah, the train has left. So this one case is this water bill matter where this exemption was annihilated, and now we're dealing with the consequences in a very real way. What are the practical consequences of taking away this exemption? Are we destroying services for the poor that we desperately need? If on one hand we believe in subsidizing a shelter because it gets people off the street at night, we should perhaps subsidize them a little more unless we as the city are going to overtake that project. You know, it's very interesting that unlike in the mental health issue, Mayor Rahm Emanuel moved from the city side to the private side, these mental health clinics on the grounds that the private companies and not-for-profits can do it better. I don't believe there was any more thought or discussion in that initiative than there was in the water bill initiative. So now with the water bills, he's saying, oh, we have all these not-for-profits that are operating these shelters, food pantries, et cetera, et cetera. Now they're getting a hit with a water bill that could force them out of business. All right, city, you said they should be in charge, but this is obviously an operation a very low margin. There's not a lot of money to be made serving the poor. So I think the city should rethink this, but it's kind of odd to be rethinking this two years into the law. The time to have thought it through was back in 2011, but there is no, getting to your point, there is no debate. There is no reason argument. I find myself so many times just like flailing away here at these with these stories because nobody has even discussed these things previously. Like you asked a very good question. Who should be exempt from the water bill? All right, we should figure that out. That may be complicated. If we exempt some not-for-profits and not other not-for-profits, will some of the not-for-profits who don't get the exemption sue? All right, well, what's the legal end of that end, you know, matter? These are things that should have been thought out. And, you know, when I talk about Amaya Pawar, that was one of his strengths as a candidate. He seemed like a reasonable, logical person who studied systems and understood finances. He would be the perfect kind of alderman to go into city council and analyze in a logical, reason, dispassionate way, the exact opposite of how I write a column, whatever initiative the mayor was offering. But, of course, 
he offered us none of those services. He merely voted for the mayor. We need somebody who has the same intellectual characteristics, but without the ability to be seduced. Someone who's not bribable, like Bruce Rauner. <laughs> okay, first of all... I, I just I came to me. I, I know. I never said, just so we know, bribable. I would never use that word in any way. So Dave Glowatz used that word. I think we should strike that word from this I didn't call him bribable. I said we need someone who is good intellectually and not bribable. But the implication there is that he was bribed into doing these things, and I don't believe that's the answer. I believe that what happens to so many aldermen when they come to the city council, they're intimidated. And they're intimidated in many different ways. And one of the ways is the mayor is just a bully. I mean, he bullies people. And so it's it's very difficult to stand up to him. Isn't it carrot and stick? Because Emmanuel also showed up at Poar's fundraiser. Yeah, there's that. But, you know, so what? I mean, Amaya Poar was elected in one of the most liberal wards in the city defeating the most powerful man in his ward. Mayor Rahm Emanuel endorsed Poar's opponent. So he already beat Rahm Emanuel. He doesn't need Rahm Emanuel showing up at his fundraisers. There's a group of people on the ward who elected Amaya Poar to go to the city council and to be an independent-minded alderman who would think through things issue by issue and not be swayed by a person's political power. And I would respect Poar if he said, Ben, I disagree with you on, let's say, TIFFs because X, Y, Z. But instead, you just go to the council and vote for the mayor or you repeat whatever propaganda he puts out. We're picking on a mayor here. We started off, the question had to do with O'Connor and Mel. That's all right. He's an easy target. He's a case in point. Well, Mayor is a case in point because Mel and O'Connor make no pretenses that they're in there as reformers. They say they're old guard Democrats who do what the boss tells them. All right. That's how you do things. And in exchange, what? They get patronage jobs, okay? Amaya ran as a progressive new thinker who is not going to fit the same confines of Chicago politics, who's going to go outside the box, apply principles that he had learned at Northwestern and some of the greatest institutions of higher learning we have in the Chicago area, University of Chicago. I think that's where he went. I think he worked at Northwestern when in University of Chicago. But you say he cowered under the stick. Well, he, just, he ends up voting the same exact, not only voting the same exact way as Mel and O'Connor, but repeating the same exact propaganda lines. But you think it's all stick? I think he was intimidated, yes. I think he was intimidated. I think he was overwhelmed by the sheer enormity of running a ward and dealing with an all-powerful mayor who is not afraid to yell at people. I don't know who his close advisors are in the neighborhood, but they did him no favors by not holding him up and saying, we got your back. We'll stick with you on this one. I've seen it happen so many times. I saw the great Ray Cologne, who I, on a personal level, really like a lot. In 2003, he overcame so much obstacles to beat Vilma Cologne in that election, and he paid a price. That he lost his job at the Y just for running. And then when he got into office, he largely became a rubber stamp for whatever programs. Now, I will give Ray this, and he has earned this. He voted against the parking meter deal. So he showed a lot of gumption there. So I tend to be I'm so easy on these guys. It doesn't take much, Dave. You know, I got this reputation. Oh, you're so mean and tough. You know, one vote. You got me. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, and plus, I like Ray a lot. I'm very disappointed with Amaya Poar. And I think what Amaya's performance in office does, it really breeds a cynicism and, you know, makes it harder to be idealistic about Chicago politics. When a guy who runs as a reformer 
immediately changes within like what? How many months was it, Dave? Six months? I believe it was the next day. Yeah, it was the next day. <laughs> so then the question becomes, well, did he do this because he was intimidated or he did this because he liked the mayor showing up at his fundraiser? So the voter has to ask themselves, you know, who can I believe in? Yes. And I think there's always in a democracy is the reality is you're, there's a good chance you're going to get disappointed. That's just how it goes. On that note, Ben, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, sir. Listeners, do you have questions or comments? You can get those to us via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Inside Chicago Government via email. You can write to us via contact at shygov.com or subscribe to one of our print or audio feeds via your web at shygov.com. This is Dave Glowatz with Ben Jarowski. Peace.